Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Uh, (laughs) Talking about (laughs) talking about a, a, a cool topic today. Video game economies. Yes. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm excited to jump into this one with you. You know, we from from my gambling endeavors in the stock market, which I don't do these days anymore because I'm scared. <laughs> but from way back in the day with RuneScape, which was honestly kind of some of my first lessons in the economy. You know, it, it's always been a you know, in one way or another, whether it's real world economies or video game economies, we're all affected by what's going on on a very macro level. So I'm excited to jump into it. Totally, totally. I actually wrote that here on on the sheet, you know. Um, Matt, I'm going to start this episode off with a question for you. Really quickly, Lucas, before you ask that question, everyone, um, remember, just before we get into things here, if you haven't already, shoot us a follow at TFE Podcast. It's at TFE Podcast. That's Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. That's at TFE Podcast with an S at the end. And the link tree on those social media handles, you can find our Discord channel. Um, the Discord is the best place to come hang out with Lucas and I. In fact, I'd even say, don't even follow us. Just go to those social media handles so you can join the Discord. Uh, you can also find our Discord on our website, thanksforplaying.live. And then you can also shoot us an email, thanksplainpod.gmail.com, and I will gladly personally send you an invite link to the Discord. All right. Great plug. Always got to do the plug. Always got to do the plug. Awesome. Uh, Matt, my question to you. Do you have money? Several. Okay. I have money too. Okay. (laughs) And I think most of the listeners out there also have money right? Therefore, they're part of the economy. Yes. Okay. You, me, all the listeners out there, we're part of the economy. And what I find super fascinating about economies, whether they're video game economies or the real world economies, they affect us. They affect us directly, indirectly. Sometimes we feel them affecting us day by day. Sometimes we don't. Um, In today's episode, I think we're going to cover a ton of topics. I will say at the top here of the episode is this is a massive topic. Um, you could do a whole podcast on video game economies and just real world trading. You know, how much RuneScape gold is today versus how much World of Warcraft gold is tomorrow. I mean, there's just so many rabbit holes you can go down when talking about video game economies. I'm going to try to limit what we talk about here to, to talk about things on a little bit of a theoretical level and then dive into some interesting topics as well. Um, but, you know, Matt and I are both what you might call students of the economy. You know, Matt's been through his investor phase for the last couple of years. And as I've <laughs> gambling into, phase, <laughs> as I've grown into a, an adult man, uh, I've tried my hardest to keep up with the economy because that's what that's what adult mans do. You know, and the economy is something that that's always affecting us. Like I said, whether you realize it or not, and if, if things are running smoothly, uh, it's like a good umpire in a baseball game. You kind of don't really realize it. Yeah. You know, you, f- you forget that it's even there. It's doing its job. Thank you, economy, for for allowing me to, you know, buy chicken at the store for, you know, a decent, reasonable amount of monies every single time I go there. But there are times like now where gas prices go up, they stay up, inflation hits, and all of a sudden I'm texting Matt, how did the price of chicken go up overnight? I don't get it. Oh, my God. Fucking, I used to get a pound of like, or a couple pounds of frozen chicken for maybe $8.99 from Vaughn's. And now frozen chicken breasts are like $12.99 for that same amount. It's insane. It's really, really awful. And, you know, prices go up so fast. 
I'm not going to get all political here, but you know, I think all of us always end up asking ourselves the question, you know, what the fuck is money? Why did, how did this happen? How did my money become less valuable today than it was last month or last week? You know, there's times where it becomes in a very, very extreme example, like Venezuela, which we're going to talk about later in this episode. But for the most part, luckily, you know, us here stateside in the United States, you know, inflation is really bad right now, but um, it's not as bad as some of the examples that we're going to be bringing up here today. Now, luckily in video games, we typically have an easier time breaking down our economies. Um, and much of the information that's going to be coming around today actually comes from a video by the great Mark Brown, um, aka Game Maker's Toolkit on YouTube. He just released a video on video game economies and how they're designed and how video game economies actually end up playing a huge role in game design. And uh, like I said, this could be a whole entire podcast, not even just a, a, a you know episode. Maybe this will end up being like a two-parter in some sort of way. But I do want to jump into single-player games first and how those economies are managed. And then I want to dive into some of that multiplayer stuff that we love so much. Um, so Matt, any questions for me at the start before this lecture? Oh man, Lucas, we're we talking at a macro level or a micro level today. I think we'll be talking. Those were two at, different classes in well, high school. <laughs> macro, micro. You know, I think, I guess it's micro. I'd say it's I don't micro know if, in this I don't case. Know what you'd consider, yeah, would you consider a video game economy, a single player video game economy to be macro or micro? I'd say Probably micro. micro. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, uh, and then an MMO economy would be macro. Yeah. That's what that's that's a good that's we're we're figuring things out as we're moving through here. <laughs> um okay, so everybody, the first thing that we have to think about when we're when we're talking about single player games economies is the tap. Okay? The tap is, you know, like the tap that the water pours out of. It is what creates our resources. Uh the best examples that that I can give, you know, is when you kill a cow, it drops a hide. When you kill a goblin, it drops gold coins. Um, in a single player game, taps serve a couple of different purposes. They exist to move you forward within the game and are often the instrumental like mechanic in some games. And then they also gatekeep you from certain parts of the game that are reserved for later. So, you know, one of our more recent examples that comes to mind is like Elden Ring, the main resource being runes, the tap being killing monsters, right? So these runes gatekeep you from being able to level up as you have to kill a monster in order to level up. It is an infinite tap. However, those taps become increasingly harder to tap into as the monsters get harder, as it costs more runes to level up. Eventually you get to the point where the only reasonable way to level up is to kill the next boss. Therefore making Elden Ring a really solid gameplay loop of you know, going and killing a boss, leveling up maybe once or twice, and then saving yourself from having to just grind endlessly because the the you know sheer amount of runes that you're gonna have to get is gonna require the slaying of a boss, which is ultimately what the game wants you to do anyway. So good usage of a tap right there. Uh, when it comes to taps, you know there there could be that level of grind. Um, if you think about you know some games like I don't know, I've just started playing No Man's Sky and. No Man's Sky has been fun, but I will say, you know, you're just, I'm mining a ton of carbon. That's like all I've been doing. <laughs> it's just like an infinite tap. I just keep mining carbon. Yeah. Because everything yeah. takes carbon. So yes, I'm creating resources. Yes, I'm 
progressing in the game, but like, geez, I am I going to do anything else? Yeah, and you know, something I do want to point out too here that is very interesting, I think, you know, oftentimes, you know, when we think economy, we'll probably strictly think of money, right? Or currency per se. Right. But it can even be the XP you get from, um, you know, killing something in a game, right? Or for defeating an enemy. In some cases, that XP, in the case of runes, is both. It is your currency and um, your method and your avenue for leveling up. And then, you know, it could be something as simple as, like Lucas said, mining um, copper, right? Or it could <laughs> yeah, be ca- something... Carbon in, carbon in No Man's Sky. There is copper, though, that I have to mine. Really annoying. Yeah, or it could be straight up, like, you know, the caps you collect in Fallout New Vegas, right? There is... What, what functions and influences economy from the game sense, it's not just like how many, what, or what, what are you exchanging at the vendor one for one, right? It's what are you mining to get resources to craft something? What are any, any finite resource really in a game, or maybe not even finite, but any resource that you need to acquire to gain something else. That's what we're really talking about here when we're really thinking at video game uh, economies. Right. Exactly. And, you know, in line with that is the next portion of the video game economy, which is really your inventory. Okay. So this is a game mechanic that limits your ability to hold on to the resource that you gather from the taps within the game. So games all manage inventories a little bit differently. Um, Some games require you to have a ton of different resources with a number of different items. Um, I'm talking about No Man's Sky, so I'll stay on that one for a second. For those of you that have played it, I immediately ran into a problem with my inventory while playing that game because there was like 20 different resources that I had to, you know, gather in the game pretty much in the first couple hours. And then each of those resources took up one inventory slot. Okay. So it, it's a matter of, I got all these different resources, but now I have to worry about how I'm storing them, whether I am selling them, what I'm going to do with them. Am I going to turn them into other resources, which is a huge mechanic in No Man's Sky. Um, but ultimately, I have a limitation impressed upon me in the form of my inventory space. Okay, every single game has inventory space. That's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting thing that I realized when I was researching this topic. Is there's never been a single game I've played where I can hold an infinite amount of items. It's just never really been a video game mechanic, and I think it's because if you can hold an infinite amount of items, it just lowers the amount of design space that the game designers have because certain things become very, very useless within your game if you can hold an infinite amount of items. And, um, you know, maybe maybe you can technically hold an infinite amount of items, but maybe you have like a weight limit. Maybe you can't run if you're holding over a certain weight limit, right? Like in the case of Fallout. Uh, And maybe that's tied to a stat. So maybe that makes you want to upgrade your strength stat. Um, So now your inventory and your resources rely upon an actual in-game stat that you could level up. So interesting interactions between how the the game stats and you know maybe some sort of those things are figured out in their relation to your inventory and therefore your economy. Um, so tons of awesome design space there when you think about it, but ultimately you're always gonna have a limitation with your inventory is what I found. It's gonna sort of a natural block. I mean, it makes sense, right? You know? Um... You can only carry so many great swords on you in Elden Ring, right? So yeah, uh, totally. It's a it's a game mechanic that makes a lot of sense to help the economy in this sense function naturally. Yeah, exactly. It makes the game actually have a feel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can hold an infinite amount of stuff with no repercussions, it kind of kind of feels weird. I don't know why. 
Um, and there are some but, ways around that in games like, oh, maybe you only have so many items on your person, but then you can go store items into your chest in the bank or whatever, right? Or off screen. Right. Um, but yeah, I think inventories and games are an important things and important thing to manage an economy. Totally. And, you know, some games require a ton of different resources, like I said, when you're creating all these different items. So you got to have a place to store these different resources because there's a crafting tree, you know, maybe there, maybe there's a crafting tree, maybe some items are worth a lot of money and you don't want to, you don't want to lose them if you die. A lot of times video games will have some sort of negative feedback loop where, you know, you lose items in, in your inventory if you die. Um, Elden Ring, like, is the example that we're pulling from a lot. You know, when you die, you lose all your runes, and then you have to run back to where you died to grab your runes. Mm -hmm. The primary resource in the game is something that you can lose. So uh, No Man's Sky actually does the the exact same thing, but some video games don't don't necessarily have a, a um, consequence for you dying with things in your inventory, but they do allow you to store things. Maybe you create chests and things like that. Um, anyway, maybe... There's a video game where you need wood and metal to make a house. And you also might need wood and metal to make an axe, which is used to create more wood, right? So this is a very common thing that we see in video games where the items in your inventory can be used to create items, which will help you more efficiently gather more items for your inventory. We actually call that a positive feedback loop. So that's a really fun one. Uh, Stardew Valley is really, really good at that. Uh, in Stardew Valley, Matt, ha you haven't really played Stardew Valley. Have you played any farming like games before? Played Hella Harvest, Harvest Moon. Moon back in the day. Tried to swoon clay. Anyone remembers <laughs> clay in Harvest Moon? <laughs> nice. I got okay. I don't, I don't know anything about Star or anything about Harvest Moon, but I'll take your word for for that. Clay Was there relationships awesome. in Stardew? Yeah, yeah, there is. I'm pretty sure Harvest Moon and Stardew share many they do. similarities. The creator of Stardew actually created it because he wanted to uh, solve all the problems that Animal Crossing and Harvest Moon had. Really? <laughs> so it's like okay. kind of, yeah, yeah. It's really, really based in in a love of those games. Nice. But in Stardew, you know, your your primary methods for gathering resources are your tools. And your tools have, you know, they're, they're slow. Like when you first, when you have your first level of your axe, it takes like 20 swings to chop down a tree. And, you know, you chop down a tree, it's like, man, that has taken me a really long time to gather this resource. And every time you sing your axe, you lower your stamina a little bit, which means you have to go to bed, right? So there's a certain stamina meter that is going down with this. There's a certain amount of actions you could take with your stamina meter. And ultimately, you want to upgrade your axe, right? So you gather resources in this world. You gather metal, you gather maybe wood, and you take your tool to the blacksmith to get it upgraded in order to make yourself more efficient in gathering more wood and more metal. Um, it's it's actually quite a fun thing that that's really happening in that in that whole scenario because you know you have your pickaxe, which is used to mine copper, which is then used to upgrade your axe, which is then used to mine copper and the next metal that is going to upgrade your axe even further. And it becomes this very, very fun self-set sort of goal thing that you have where you say, okay, I'm gonna do my axe. And then I'm gonna do my hatchet, and then I'm gonna do my my hoe or or my my watering can or whatever it is. And in Stardew Valley specifically, when you upgrade a tool, you actually can't use it for a full day, so you have to go use other tools and find something else to do. So very 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 smart usage of 
everything in Stardew Valley in that regard. I think it's a, a really prime example of, of an economy and inventory and things like that. Um, in fact, storage. The first thing I did when I played Stardew Valley was actually to try and solve my inventory problem. Um, you almost immediately run out of inventory space and have to craft chests and then start storing stuff in your chests. Um, actually comes uh, kind of becomes a game within a game in that regard. Like so a mini very game. fun indeed. Yeah, it is. And, and that's sometimes that's a, a whole game's entire premise. There's a number of different indie games out there that they're it's all storage problems. It's all mining problems. I mean, shit, honestly, problems. when we were playing Valheim, I kind of felt like that sometimes. Yeah, that totally, totally. Start you can only carry so much on your persons and then you have to always make sure you have enough chests going on and, and keep those chests organized for that matter. Just and lot. in a multiplayer sense, it became a communication like mm -hmm. problem on top of an inventory problem when it was like, Eddie, where's the food chest? <laughs> where's the wood chest? Wait, who put the wood in this chest? Yo, get the stone. Where's the stone? <laughs> stone free. <laughs> yeah. It just became like, where's my stone? Where's the wood? Do we have any stone? We, somebody needs to gather some stone. Oh, man, I want to play some Valheim now. Valheim was a good game. Uh, it is a good yeah. game. I'm sure it's even better than when we were playing it now. Shouts out to BroCal. We should probably try and jump on some Valheim soon. Um, but anyway, inventories are fun. I want to kind of get that across is, you know, when they're designed well, they can become a game within themselves. You know, you, you mine from taps, you store things in chests and you manage your inventory and it, it becomes a fun thing if it's done very, very well. I'd say Valheim is on probably the more fun side of things as opposed to, you know, Fallout, I, I think it's it's a it's a problem. It's like a wall in the way, but I never really had fun managing my Fallout inventories, to be perfectly honest. I just felt like it was a thing. Okay, I got to drop this. Okay, I can't carry that. Okay, I can't use that armor. Yeah, It just turned into limitations for myself rather than a problem I had to solve, right? So that's kind of my take on that. Um, I, I will say that the interaction between stats and inventory can be very, very dynamic. Um, and you know, maybe it creates goals for you where your, your inventory is limited by some sort of quest item, some sort of backpack that you can buy, some sort of wallet increase in Zelda. It's always, you always have a limitation on your rupees. Then you get more rupees through like a wallet system or something like that. And that can be pretty fun. Um, so just want to point out that it can be fun, but eh, I don't know. It's up, it's up, it's always up to your audience and what, what they want and what you feel as a game designer for sure. Um, one thing that's really interesting is I want to bring up Metro Exodus. Have you played this one, Matt? I played halfway through this one. I played Metro 2033 and then back in my, uh, hold on. Oh God. <laughs> bless, bless, bless. Sneeze. Um, no, back in my streaming days. So I played Metro 2033 and I loved it. And then I tried jumping into Metro. That's the most recent one that came out, right? Metro Exodus. Exodus, yeah. I'd, it's the one where you leave the you go, you go to top ground. Yeah, mm -hmm. I played that a little bit. I never really jo dove into it fully. Um, I, I tried playing it while I was streaming way back in the day, like in 2019, 2018 era, and I found I wasn't enjoying it as much just because. I don't, that, that's one of the reasons I don't really stream, guys, is because it's hard for me to enjoy a single player game while I'm also streaming it. So I stopped doing that. But I want to play it. I was actually. When I watched the video you sent me for the research we did here, I was like, shit, I really got to play that game. 
Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, one thing I really liked about Metro Exodus's crafting system was everything was crafted. I'm not sure if uh, the other Metro game was this way, but everything was crafted with either scrap or chemical. Mm -hmm. Was that how uh, Metro, the first one was? My gut says yes, but I can't say for certain. But I absolutely but remember I was scrounging for it. That's something that's persistent in both those games. I was absolutely always stressed for materials. You know, I, I think a lot of survival games like... You know, a lot of survival games can take a lot of notes from Metro. I think a great example in comparison is when we played Bioshock. I mean, Bioshock is supposed to be kind of like a survival horror action game. But I mean, there's never any moment in that game where you're really stressed for ammo or anything like that. Yeah. But when you're playing a game like Metro, you absolutely have to be stressed for ammo. You have to be stressed every for single every, moment. literally every bullet counts. And that is yeah. not an exaggeration. It is a true survival game in that sense. Yeah, and that that game is so expertly crafted in that regard too. Because it's really, really good. Th their whole crafting system, at least in Metro Exodus, is everything is made from two components: scrap or and chemicals. Right. So mm -hmm. every time you craft an item, it takes away from your ability to craft something else. Whereas, like in Stardew Valley, something might take wood, and then something might take grass, and then something might take stone, and something might take copper. Because you have so many different kinds of resources, you can build something without affecting your ability to build something else. But in Metro, you're always constantly affecting your ability to, some, to, to build something else. So you say, okay, do I want the gun or do I want the armor? I literally can only have one or the other right now. <laughs> like <laughs> I can't choose both um, because it's just the way the crafting system works. So it's super, super interesting. Like every single thing in this game in terms of resources is contributing to that scroungy survival factor that the game is really trying to to really impart on you so you know a lot of praise for those games um i'd say you know i love metro exodus i think life got in the way when i was trying to play that game um and matt is giving shining endorsements for the other one so i think uh i think we get, probably has the tfp sign off there <laughs> um but yes, uh, those are kind of the, the main things is, you know, you, you got taps, you got inventories. And then the next thing I want to talk about is really your converter. Very simple. You know, it's the, the mechanic in the game that is used to turn one resource into another. Um, in No Man's Sky, there's literally like a converter, um, like a mobile converter that you just kind of have in your base. And you could put in carbon into it and it develops carbon plus. You put ferrite into it, it develops ferrite plus or magnetized ferrite, and you're just turning, you know, maybe two of one resource into another resource. Um, in Valheim, I think, you know, we would gather raw copper deposit. We, we go to a copper deposit, which was a tap, mine the copper and put the copper into our inventory, run it back to the, uh, the forge, throw the copper in there and create copper bars, which was then used to create copper armor. Right. So it's it's taking into account, you know, every single thing has value, right? Yes. You can only carry so much copper. There's only so much copper that you can find on the map. It's hard to find. So it's it's fun and exciting when you do find a tap of copper. And then, you know, there's the whole problem of you had to we had to actually craft a wheelbarrow to like run, like carry a lot of copper and build from one area. Yeah. Yeah. And then we had to build roads for it. So you you create one 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 goal that isn't even really like build copper armor we just understand that we want to build copper armor so then we we have we have all these problems in the way and then we kind of naturally solve 
all of those problems over time. So the converter can be a really cool step that's the payoff at the end of that whole thing. It's like, finally you get your armor yes. after you solve all these different problems from the tap and the inventory. So very fun there. The trader. The trader is the next step here. The trader is not in every single every single game. It's very typical in our games now, but it's your shopkeeper. You know, it's where you spend your resources or your currency to to get things, right? Um, Elden Ring has shopkeeps all over the place. Um, even even that game has it. Um, no Man's Sky has a you know interchange exchange system where you do sell things. Um, there is also there's trading light inside of Stardew Valley. I will say there was no trading. In, there's no trader in Valheim, at least that we found. I wasn't sure if there was one. Is there one? No, I'm mistaken. That's my knowledge. No. Yeah. And you know, the, sh the I mean, maybe we barely touched the surface of that game for how much we played. Honestly, that's true. That's true. The shopkeep is oh, to me always like an interesting dynamic in a game. Like I, for some reason, my mind immediately goes to like Resident Evil shopkeep. Like when you find the shopkeep in Resident Evil, it's like, hell yeah, time to time to spend all the money that I've been saving up. I just like spent two hours killing zombies. I I just I now get to reap the rewards in the form of a shopkeep. Yeah. So sometimes the trader is is really that, but sometimes the trader's like this really dynamic kind of variable that you have, like where your trader or whatever system you have for trading, your shopkeeper actually has like different variable pricing on every single resource in the game, which I find very interesting, where if you sell too much of a specific resource to a trader, it actually goes down in value. You have that in Stardew, or you have that in um, in No Man's Sky. So there's different demand levels for each individual resource. So very, very enter enterprising players in some games economies could actually go from one area buy a resource and then go sell it in another area to another shopkeep. And, and you do see that sometimes in some video games and game designers find it to be a very interesting dynamic. Um, so there is some of that. Um, you see the No Man's Sky, it's some people, that's that's the game, you know? That's, that's like how they end up trading and playing the game, which I find super, super cool. Um, and then the last step here for video game economies is you got drains, okay? used in games to take the resource out of the economy the opposite of the tap so anything that has to do with your skill tree that's a drain a level up is a drain okay you're losing that resource permanently so every time you're leveling up inside of elden ring you are going to the drain to throw away all your runes uh, you are getting something out of it but that's the drain if you die and then don't pick up your runes that's also the drain here's a recent so, example Combos in Sifu are a drain until you permanently unlock them. Very, very true. Yes, yes. Oh man, I can't wait. I can't wait for our Sifu episode. That'll be a good one. Gotta beat it sure. first, Chief. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm <laughs> almost there. I know. I'm almost there. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of your single player economies um, in our. That's your video game economy, sort of in um, in a microcosm. You know, you got taps, you got inventories, converters, the trader, and the drains. Okay. And, um, you know, this is mostly what we've been covering has been single player video game examples, but I really am excited to jump into the multiplayer, how this really applies to like your multiplayer games, mostly your MMOs. Uh, we talk about MMOs a lot on this podcast, and I think we talked about, you know, online games in our, in our last topic episode, actually quite a bit. Um, and I, I just find it 
so, so fascinating um, because your taps are unlimited taps yes. in a multiplayer game. They, they sort of have to be, um, unless it's some sort of limited event. Your inventories are usually a very, very heavy mechanic in your online multiplayer games. In fact, um, like RuneScape, inventory management is the game of RuneScape. Like I don't even, I don't care what anybody says, like managing your inventory is what you're doing in <laughs> RuneScape whenever you play it. And the converter is usually your cash cow or what you're doing to, to generate resources. Um, and your trader is like where you're actually selling, like the grand exchange. Um, Matt, I'm gonna dive into this one, mm -hmm, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I sent you this article, so it's not a big surprise, but um, how the virtual economies in video games interact with the real world oh, economies. Yep. Right. So you want to touch on real quick, this article by Polygon, how RuneScape is helping Venezuelans survive. Yeah. Well, really quickly too. I mean, just shout out to RuneScape that like taught me the very basics of economy and how it functions before even I um, really learned it in school. You know, RuneScape has its very own unique functioning economy within the game um, that is very truly affected by supply and demand. I was even in a merchant clan at one point, which for all intents and purposes was doing the equivalent today of price colluding and manipulation <laughs> um, <laughs> of, 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 of the real world equivalent, excuse me. I'll never forget. It's like, all right, everyone, we're buying all the granite malls. Now fucking sell them. Sell them. <laughs> and like the lucky few that sold in time could buy them for like, or sell them for like a stupid profit and everyone else got fucked. But yeah, so this was reported on Polygon by Matt Omler. Um, this article dropped on May 27th, 2020. And basically through a myriad of corruption, mismanagement, and a variety of political factors and geoeconomic factors that Lucas and I could only really begin to understand. The point is the Venezuelan currency has gone through a hyperinflation. So imagine what we're experiencing right now in America times a hundred or a thousand even where these people at their jobs are barely earning $5 a month, which I don't think I need to tell anyone that is not a living wage. And what a lot of uh, people in Venezuela found um, starting around, you know, November uh, 2019, when this all really started getting out of hand, was that they could, you know, basically farm in RuneScape and just play RuneScape all day, collect gold in that game, and then sell the gold, the in-game gold for currency, typically USD, and make more money doing that than they would at their day jobs. Yeah, it is a wild, wild story. I, I actually find this to be one of the more fascinating stories and topics that we've probably ever covered on this podcast. Um, a really, really great article like by that Matt pointed out. It's it's by um, Matt Omler at uh, Polygon. Um, really, really great feature here by Polygon, and uh, something that I've I've always known or known about through just playing RuneScape and kind of following the community seeing the memes it's sort of a meme you know venezuelan bot farmers in in runescape you know it's sort of been a thing and you know venezuela's economy has been snowballing pretty much since 2010 so it's had a good 12 years of turmoil and you know me and matt talked about the price of chicken and complained about that at the grocery store and and it sucks for for people in our in our positions to have to pay more for chicken but you know 
To be clear, there's people, more than just chicken. It's yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I, I would just use that as the prime example. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, you know, I can't even imagine what hyperinflation really, really feels like. You know, it happened in Germany also after World War One. You know, people, you know, when the governments are mismanaged, they just think that printing a lot of money is how you solve something. Um, but what you're doing is devaluing your currency. In fact, a lot of the reason why America is going through a lot of its you know, sort of inflation is because we printed quite a bit of dollars uh, during the 2020, um, you know, isolation quarantine. Um, I think more money we, was printed since then than like in the last 30 years or something. Just an absolutely insane number. Yeah, we printed a lot of U.S. dollars um, at that time in order to make the economy keep running in sort of an in, in some sort of way. And, you know, we're, we're feeling the effects of that now. But, you know, we at least have officials in our government and our economic policymakers that are a little bit more savvy, I think, and have a little bit more experience when they're generating currency. Um, but unfortunately, the Venezuelan officials did did not. And I mean, again, it's like, like what happened with, <clears throat> excuse me, it's like what happened with Germany after uh, World War One. Right. Right. where they had all this debt to pay back. So they're like, fuck it, just print the money. <laughs> <laughs> they paid back not the debt, debt, I think. I guess maybe unfair reparations is more. It was reparations, right. Um, yeah, either way, they, they were forced to pay a lot of money. So they said, fuck it, we'll pay it off, but it's going to be worthless. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And and um, just just so uh, people out here understand what it is, you know, the every single virtual currency inside of an MMO or a video game can be traded for real world money. Okay, so there's there's always like some sort of conduit. It's it's not necessarily a shady business or like some guy is meeting up with some guy at the Grand Exchange or the bank in Varick and exchanging it. I mean, these are sanctioned things that the developers of the game allow. Like RuneScape has, you can pay for a RuneScape membership with gold in the game, right? Can you do that? You now? don't have to. I didn't know that. Actually. They do that now. Um, yeah. So how much? You know, is it's a lot know? of. It's a lot. It's I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It's like 200 mil. It's a lot yeah, of money. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I just maybe it's 20 mil. But rune a rune you can buy RuneScape bonds memberships to old school RuneScape with in-game currency. So if you're a really really savvy economic player, you generate a lot of money in the game. You can simply keep playing forever without actually having to pay any US dollars. You just spend time on RuneScape, play the game, and then buy bonds. Right. But ultimately, a player is selling the bond. So somebody paid for it. Right. And on the reverse side, you can sell a bond and just make a ton of money. So the most effective way to make gold in RuneScape is to just buy bonds and then sell them flat out. It's just it's kind of the joke like, oh, how do I somebody on Reddit asks, like, how do I make more money in RuneScape? Get a minimum wage job and then go sell bonds yeah. is how you make money on that game. Um, and. The current going rate, this is according to playerauctions.com, uh, which is a really great website to find all this sort of information on real world trading. Uh, the current going rate for RuneScape Gold is $38.46 per 100 million. So 38 cents per million gold, okay? Um, so with that conversion, with the good people in Venezuela, what it turns into is maybe about $150 a month. Now, this article was written a few years ago. So, you know, prices have changed. The price of RuneScape gold has changed a little bit. The price of the US dollar for RuneScape gold has changed a little bit. But $150 US dollars a month, when people were working jobs in Venezuela that were paying them five US dollars a month, 
this is a massive, massive, massive increase, right? So this is, uh, you know, a lot of the people that were interviewed for this article actually declined to have their full names. Some of them even use monikers and just completely were anonymous. Um, there's this college student. They just called him Perez. I'm going to quote from the article here. Um, three years ago, Perez was a college student living in a household that was struggling to put food on the table. He tells us his parents earned the equivalent of two loaves of bread a month. Desperate to improve the lives that he and his family were living, Perez started Googling ways to make money online. And then what Perez found was a way to actually play RuneScape um, by doing tasks for other players in the game. So that was a big thing is, you know, you'd pay someone 75 cents an hour to just smelt bars for you, smelt copper bars or smelt, you know, runite bars or whatever it is. And this was Perez's first job. His first job was smelting runite bars at a blast furnace and making 75 cents an hour. It's insane. Yeah, real money. Like it's it's crazy. And I mean, it's not, it's well, well, well below our minimum wage, but it's a lot of money for somebody in a, in a country that is going through hyperinflation. So quite a story, um, you know, and it even got to a point where a lot of citizens of Venezuela started realizing that this was a really viable way to start making money. And at a certain point in 2013, 40 to 50% of the game's active player base in any given month was buying gold from gold farmers. There was just that much inside of the economy. And I mean, there was like, Venezuela, I think, was the eighth largest country by volume playing RuneScape, which eighth largest, you know, there's quite a bit of countries that are in front of you there, but they just did, you know, you wouldn't expect Venezuela to really have that that big of a chunk of players. I think it was close to 18,000 players per month that was consistently getting on. And here's the crazy part. Venezuela was going through a lot of turmoil to the point where electricity rolling blackouts from the government were happening. Um, you know, in that country, the government actually owns the rights to water, power, electricity, basically all the services that could be provided. So, you know, they have to do rolling blackouts if there's not enough resources and energy in the country. And those rolling blackouts would actually cut off a lot of these RuneScape farmers from yeah. being able to mine specific it's resources. Insane. And it would actually create gaps in the economy within RuneScape because what was happening was certain items in the game that were really popular to get farmed by these gold miners in Venezuela were not entering the market because those gold farmers were getting cut off for weeks or months at a time because they were literally losing electricity in the real world. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole thing's just incredible, really. And I think it's it's wonderful that the Venezuelans were able to find a way to support themselves and get out of the country, right? You know, and what's really interesting too is, you know, Jag or Jagex, the creators of RuneScape, have said because technically, you know, outright trading gold for real money, like on these third party websites, is not is against their terms of services. Well, they're like, and they're basically saying like. Yeah, they shouldn't do that, but yeah, okay. You know, <laughs> they're very clearly not actively cracking down against it, which is great because you can, if you're a fucking asshole playing the game, you can, uh, I don't want to say that because I can understand 
how it's very hard in certain I can un- not understand. I can see why the spoiled kid in America or whatever country will get upset by a Venezuelan, you know, doing whatever with the game and kind of fucking up the in-game economy a bit or inflating certain things or deflating certain things. I don't sympathize with that person, but I get why there's why they would think that. But I think it's so wonderful that Dragax is like, fuck those guys. Like we acknowledge they basically said like, yeah, we know what's happening, but we're not going to fucking stop it. You assholes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's like a pretty legendary, uh, Reddit post on old school runescape, uh, which the, the subreddit is called 2007 scape. I say legendary, but I guess it's more on, on the infamous side of things. So, uh, one of the popular farming spots to get gold, uh, for Venezuelan people, well, there's a lot of ways to make money in runescape, but one was, uh, Killing dragons in the wilderness, which when you're in the wilderness, there's a high level of reward when you're in the wilderness, but there's also a lot of risk because you can get killed by other players. Mm-hmm. Five years ago, there was a post on the subreddit, and the title of the post is Killing Venezuelans at East Drag's Guide, right? <clears throat> this thread is completely locked. The uh the thread and you know the main description of it are kind of removed. And uh, Polygon actually reached out to that particular Reddit user and asked, like, you know, why you made that Reddit post. And they actually said, like, it was more supposed to be something that was kind of funny and satirical. Like, yeah, it's a guide on, like, how to kill Venezuelan players. But, like, I was I was trying to just be kind of tongue in cheek with it in a way. The, the original post is deleted, so we can't really read what they said. But the the people that responded and commented on that thread were just racist. Oh, pieces. Really, really toxic. The moderator had to lock the thread and it's, it's really, really tough. I mean, the moderator here uh, is five years ago. The comment is I've gone ahead and locked this thread. I'm pretty sure I don't need to explain why I'm disappointed in our community right now. Uh, It's not this post that disappoints me. It's the blatant racist and edgy comments left by people that have no idea what it must be like to live in a situation where your economy is collapsing. Our community has done great stuff in the past, uh, but when it comes to the situation, real people are suffering and we make jokes instead of asking Jagex for an event that could allow us to raise money for these poor souls who have literally who have to literally grind a game to survive. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, it's it's like it's 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 interesting because there there are terms of service that Jagex has. You know, there are certain things. There's real world trading things, but it sort of seems like they've taken kind of like you said, They've kind of looked the other way and just said, like, yeah, we understand that there is a large portion and population of people in Venezuela playing the game to survive. I believe that their response was, I actually have the quote right here. Um, We're very sympathetic to the plight of the Venezuelan people, and we hope a political solution can be swiftly found to end the incredibly difficult situation in which they find themselves. We are aware of the reports that there are RuneScape players based in Venezuela who gold farm an activity which is not exclusive to that country. However, gold gold farming and real world trading are against the strict terms and conditions that all RuneScape and old school RuneScape players must adhere to. Such activities fuel black markets associated with organized cheating, the illegal sale of virtual items, organized fishing attempts, and the damage to the health of the economy of games loved and played by millions of people around the world. With that in mind, we are and always have been consistent in our action against gold farmers and world world traders. We do not target Venezuelan players for gold farming. We place significant effort into detecting and removing gold farmers for gold farming in line with our terms and service, regardless of where they are in the world. 
to me, this is just an acknowledgement. They're not saying that we're cracking down on people. We're mm -hmm. cutting off access or anything like that. They're just saying, hey, we get it. It's happening. Uh, some RuneScape players that are, like you said, maybe a little bit less um, sympathetic or spoiled mm -hmm. in other countries where they don't have this problem or maybe not. Um, it's kind of acknowledging that mentality while saying, hey, you know, yeah, we, we make an effort, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, fantastic. I mean, f f like infinitely interesting to me um, that that somebody can make money in that regard. Um, and I, I just I just find it very, very fascinating that, you know, we have an economy in a virtual world that is specifically influencing people in the real world and and helping them live. Yeah, I mean... We all got to do what we got to do to survive. And, you know, I'm glad they found a way. I really do. Yeah. Um, I do have some fun facts here. So um, I looked up the fastest methods for grinding gold in RuneScape currently, in old school RuneScape. And the fastest way is actually to um, go bossing and kill necks, uh, which will make you about 14 mil an hour with the items that are dropped, um, which bumps you up to the equivalent of five point or five dollars and 32 cents an hour playing greenscape um you know well below the minimum wage mm -hmm. for for any regular u.s citizen but quite a bit of money for yeah. for any country where where your economy is collapsing there interestingly wow gold 23 dollars an hour and seven cents per 200k uh lost arc i don't i don't know the scaling for lost Ark because i haven't played that game but if you want to buy 200, you want to buy 20k gold in Lost Ark, it's going to run you about $27. Um, if you're a Final Fantasy player, you want to buy 30 mil gil, it's going to cost you about $30. New World, if you want to buy 80k coins, it's going to run you about $32.44. If you're playing Maple Story, shout out Maple Story, 800 million mesos is going to cost you about $25.60. There's a lot. I, lo I just love that there's like straight up like trend or excuse me, currency converters on this. It's uh, yeah. it's awesome. I know. I know. It is. It is awesome. And there was a big one here. Okay. Elden Ring. You can buy runes on Elden Ring. Okay. Uh, that came uh, up 10. Quick. Huh? That came up quick buying runes on Elden Ring. Yeah. Yeah. 10 million runes. $257.50. It's a lot. It's a That's lot. a lot of money. For 10 million? Uh, 10 million runes. Yeah. And unfortunately, I didn't have time to run the numbers on like what level that really gets you. I mean, I think what that turns into is... I wonder how long that you know, takes, though. Yeah, I do wonder how long that takes. Um, you know, I think when I, when I was really farming hard in Elden Ring on that bird thing that you can do that bird exploit i don't know if they close that exploit now but i think farming there maybe generated a hundred thousand runes over excuse me over maybe 20 minutes if done correctly Something like no that, maybe yeah. less than that maybe maybe 15 so maybe you make half a million an hour if you do it ideally inside of elden ring which this is several hours of work here I'd say not, I'd even say quicker than that. Honestly, I'd say maybe you can you can get ten thousand runes like every fifteen or twenty seconds if you're efficient with that thing. 
That's true. That's true. Okay. Maybe, maybe it takes about five minutes. This is actually pretty good. I think you can make pretty good money actually selling Elden Ring Decent money, yeah. runes, yeah. uh, runes looking time, at it right yeah. now. Cause you can make 10 million, maybe like in an hour. No way. $257 an hour. Shit. Okay. Well, we may have a new job next week. For those <laughs> of you out there farming Elden Ring runes, for anybody out there listening to this podcast episode that is doing any sort of real world trading, we would love to hear from you in yeah. how you're making that money. Um, I find it endlessly fascinating in how, you know, the video game economy really affects you, your thoughts on it or anything like that. Yeah. Let us know what's crack and tell us your story. Thanks for letting pod at gmail.com. Yeah. That's all I got really for this one. Um, you know, I, like I said, I think this overall topic of video game economies, I think is a, a, a really large topic that we will cover more of over time yes. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, a lot to break down there. But yeah, I think that's all we got today, everyone. Uh, as always, if you want, shoot us an email at thanksforplayingpod at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on social media, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, at TFP Podcasts. That's at TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. But as always, best place to reach us is our Discord. Find that in the link tree on any of our social media handles or find it on our website, thanksforplaying.live. Or shoot us an email. I will gladly personally send you an invite to the Discord. And if you want to hang out with your good buddy, Matt, you can find me on Twitter at GoodIdeaMatthew. Awesome. And if you want to find me, you could find me on Instagram at GoodIdeaLucas. But of course, hit me up on the Discord. I'll definitely hit you back and we can talk video games, talk magic, talk economies, RuneScape, all that fun stuff. Love it. All right, everyone. This has been. Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Scooby-Doo-Bot. Thanks for playing as a production of Good Ideas Only. Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Sammy Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch, Red Circle, 